Hello and welcome to another installment of Soccer Pints, your one-stop shop for all things American soccer. I'm your host, Will Clark. And unless you have been hiding under a rock the past few days, the U.S. men's national team kicked off their final World Cup preparation camp this week and faced off against Japan on Friday in Germany. Last week, we had a chance to go through the roster. We made predictions into who would start, and we broke down some of what to expect in the friendly match. Today is Monday, September 26th. We have one more day until we play our final World Cup tune-up match against Saudi Arabia. And while we have a lot to unpack from Friday's performance, or lack thereof, against Japan, I want to use today to go over some of the issues we saw during that match and just give some general comments and opinions about where we currently are. I will briefly preview tomorrow's friendly as well, so today will be a shorter episode, more unscripted, and a little different than usual. Later this week, we will give a full analysis into the entire camp and who is in and who is out for the World Cup come November. Now, I am jumping right into today's topics and we won't have a beer feature for this episode, mainly because it is early Monday morning and while I enjoy my pints, we have a long week ahead of us and a 5 a.m. Monday beverage equals problems, so I'll be very transparent and let you know I am drinking a nice hot cup of coffee during today's episode. Anyways, if you missed Friday's disaster match against Japan, lucky you. It was such a poor effort by our squad and coaching staff. We all know by now that we lost 2-0, giving up a goal in each half. But we never looked like a cohesive unit, and we were exposed in just about every area on the pitch. In fact, I will go as far as to say the only player who put in a decent shift was Matt Turner in goal. One of the positions I was most worried about. He made me not worry as much. Without him, this match could have ended easily 5-0. Japan was decisive. They played with intent. They spread the U.S. around with ease and opened up opportunities without really having to overwork for them. Many times, the U.S. just gave the ball away in bad areas for Japan to capitalize, including their first goal when Weston McKinney carelessly gave the ball away and Japan sprang forward to slot home an easy goal. But earlier in play, Aaron Long gave one away in the opening minute. Walker Zimmerman gave another away around the 12th minute, and we just never could get out of our own way. We just looked so shaky. For the U.S. to not have any shots on target, that's a whole nother problem. Serginho Des ran down the right flank inside of five minutes and played a perfect cross to Jesus Ferreira, who mistimed his jump and headed the four-yard header over the goal frame. Now, I am not blessed with great height either, but Ferreira has to put that ball in the back of the net. You just can't miss chances like that. And that pretty much summed up how the rest of the day would turn out. We looked like a squad who was disorganized, who had a lack of effort or even care in playing, who just thought, oh, we will eventually make something happen. But it never did. Nobody stepped up. There was a lack of leadership on the pitch. Even more alarming to me was that there was a lack of adapting to Japan's pressing style and attack. It was like we knew they were going to keep doing it, but we didn't change anything during the match. The first half was one of the worst halves of soccer that I have seen this squad play in a long time. The second half, we did make a few changes and started a bit better, but then the level dropped off again, and it was just such a stagnant match. Japan put the game away late with an 88th minute goal, but it was long over before then. We never created any chances. We never threatened to disrupt Japan's rhythm, and we were thoroughly 
outplayed on the day. And while the U.S. may have had more possession, I think it was 57% to 43% than Japan, the biggest stats to know for me were the following. Japan had 16 shots, and eight of those were on target. The U.S. had four shots, and zero were on target. Japan committed 16 fouls against the U.S. The U.S. committed three fouls against Japan. So what does that tell me? It tells me exactly what I just said. We never created any chances. We lacked any ability to put together an attack. The stat about the fouls for me is actually one that is often overlooked, but one I feel is very important. Now, I would never condone intentionally fouling anyone to hurt them. That's not what this is about. But what I will say is that sometimes you need to let your opponent know that it's not going to come easy for them. You will knock them over if they try certain things, or at a minimum, you will disrupt their tempo and playing style, which is exactly what Japan did to us. Brennan Aronson was on the ground every single time he touched the ball. That was purposeful from Japan. They weren't going to let him beat them. They completely took him out of the game. Same with Luca De La Torre. He was consistently bodied off the ball and could never get two yards to play his attacking style. Something has to change for tomorrow for the U.S., or we're going to look back at this camp and have to rethink a lot of the style and tactics that we've tried in order to even have a remote chance of beating anyone within our group. Now, to all the supporters who say, well, we were missing Anthony Robinson, Christian Pulisic, Yunus Musa, and Tim Weah. I agree. All of them would have helped. It may not have changed the result, but those four never turned it off when playing for the national team. And I think they would have picked the personality up on the pitch, as Greg Berhalter mentioned post-game. But whether players are there or not, we have to be able to step up when they are missing and can't rely solely on them for creativity or personality or even just that bite on the field. Overall, I was more than disappointed with the performance. It was well below expectations, especially at this point. But should it have been? I mean, this is typical U.S. soccer over the past few years. I have said it time and time again. We didn't exactly light the world on fire during World Cup qualification, and we were dangerously close to missing the automatic World Cup qualifying spot again. That doesn't change my thoughts that we should advance and be excited come November, but it does tell me that we have a lot of areas that can and will be exploited if we don't make some kind of change in the very near future. I've seen a lot of people blame the new uniform as the reason these guys didn't put up much of a fight. You play how you feel, and yes, I get that. Heck, I even said as much last week about it, but there is no excuse for the complete lack of a performance put in on Friday. However, before I get into what needs to change for tomorrow's match, I will say one more thing. This is a friendly. This is a tune-up match for the World Cup. This is an opportunity to try a few different things out, and to work on certain styles or tactics. It is not the end of the world. It does not mean we should lower our expectations. It means we need to throw away whatever game plan we had for Japan and move on to the next one. And we better because we don't have much time to get it right. So what needs to change? Couple of things here. One, we weren't prepared to face Japan. Why was this the case? We had months to help prepare for Japan, a team we aren't used to playing or familiar with, but it's exactly the kind of side we could see when we face England or Wales or even Iran to an extent. 
Weston McKinney said afterwards, he had not watched any film on Japan prior to playing them. If that is true, it's unacceptable. It also showed on the pitch as he played terrible. But what is the reasoning here? I wish I had the answer, but this falls solely on Greg. The guys had four days together prior to this match, and I know we are working on things for the World Cup specifically, but for the life of me, I can't figure out how you were so unprepared. Was the late exclusion or injury of Pulisic to blame? Did that make everyone's confidence go away? Or is there a potential internal disagreement about who should be playing and where? Now, that's a potentially greater topic for post-camp episodes, but we have seen some conspiracies with other players in the past, so it could be that. Either way, there was no excuse to turn up the way that we did on Friday and lose the way that we did. I'm okay losing a game. But to lose without putting up a fight, without putting up an effort, that shows that this team is not ready for the World Cup yet, and the pressure is going to be greater than ever. Number two, we created almost nothing offensively. Now, the lack of Pulisic and Weah, even Musa to an extent, I get it. Nobody else stepped up. Ferreira was nowhere to be found up top. Sargent, he provided more aggression and hold-up ability, but there wasn't much else happening around him. This has always been a concern for me. How are we going to create offensively if we are constricted to this little systematic bubble that Greg is imposing on this squad? Now, I'll talk more about the system in a second, but we have the talent. We have the ability to create, but for some reason, we lack almost the freedom to try it. You see Brennan Aronson with Leeds United creating, putting the ball everywhere on the pitch that it needs to be. He gets bodied. He gets knocked over. He took studs to the back of his calf on a foul that wasn't even called, but not a single U.S. player came over to help pick him up or help fight for him. When that's happening to one of your creative players, you've got to be there to have his back, and we failed to do that. That was a problem for me. To be able to not think outside the box, to not think about how we need to spread ourselves out or even get more compact when Japan is pressing us, it blew my mind. I couldn't think why we couldn't adapt. Was it Greg telling the team, stay where you are? I mean, this week we heard Christian Pulisic come out in his new book and he talks about Thomas uh, Tuchel and Chelsea and how he wasn't supposed to make a run in the Champions League semifinals two years ago that he ended up making and scored a goal to help put Chelsea through. Is Greg doing that to this team? Is he telling them not to be themselves? I don't know, but I'm looking for a lot more creativity because if we can't create against these three squads come November that are going to sit back and counter us, we're never going to break them open. We're never going to score goals. And this isn't CONCACAF, so it's not going to come easy. Number three, we looked lost in the midfield with our positioning. Now, the midfield was absolutely the worst part of the entire performance from the minute the match started. That's my opinion, but it was pretty evident. There was no partnership between Adams, McKinney, and De La Torre. Usually with Musa in there, it helps connect Adams and McKinney a bit more, but they all looked lost. De La Torre was spread too far wide at times, and Adams and McKinney looked so complacent. They played too casual whenever they had possession. They gave the ball away. 
Nobody got stuck into tackles to break up Japan, and their midfield was quick and decisive and able to stretch us completely to the point where we were just getting in fitness, running all over chasing the ball. Now, a couple of things here. Are McKinney and Adams a good pairing together? I think they are, but McKinney hasn't been playing very well lately. Throw in Musa there. Musa ends up playing a bit more defensively. It helps allow McKinney to move forward, which I'll talk about here in a little bit too. But we looked terrible. And without that, with our defenders trying to play out of the back, which they were terrible doing as well, we had no link-up play up top. It killed any creativity we had. And every time De La Torre got the ball, he was knocked over. So we need to figure something out figure out how to work together, and change things up a little bit moving forward. Now, number four, defensively, we were panicked. So Sam Vines got the start on the left, Zimmerman and Long together centrally, and Dest on the right, which was to be expected. However, the pairing of Long and Zimmerman looked very shaky. It was almost uncomfortable anytime either had the ball. They looked panicked. They looked out of place. Vines was forced to stay back closer to the defensive line than his preferred more attacking outside back role that he's so good with. Dest was fine, but he showed us again and again that he isn't necessarily a true lockdown defender. But with Long and Zimmerman there as cover, it didn't allow us to play out of the back and press forward. It crippled our ability to play the way Greg is wanting to play, which is out of the back. And without adapting, it was brutal. And I know that there was a microscope on Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman to an extent because they come from MLS, because they aren't necessarily tested at the international level. And I agree with it to an extent. I think Zimmerman has earned his spot, but you start putting him around other people like Vines and Long, who he hasn't played with a lot, and he's forced to, to not play naturally. So I can't fully fault him, but he didn't look great. Long... I just, I don't get it. I know there's loyalty. I mentioned it last episode, but for me, he cannot be in this lineup. He is just too slow right now. Everything that Greg has said about the exclusions of someone like John Brooks or Tim Ream, for example, or Jordan Peefock, like the excuses that he meet, that he has for leaving them out are very contradicting to why he's got certain people in. So, He's got to change that up defensively in order for us to have success tomorrow. Now, the final thing, we need to play outside of the system. It brings me to the final point in the match. We didn't adapt. We didn't make changes to this system. We were exposed due to this system. In those moments, the coaching staff has to be able to adapt to the situation before it's too late. Greg never played outside of this system. Japan knew exactly what we wanted to do, how we wanted it to happen. And when that happened, we never changed. And we looked lost on the pitch because of it. And as players, you have to take matters into your own hands sometimes. And you have to be able to read the game. Nobody did. Even with the addition of our substitutes coming on throughout the second half, it was like trying to fit a square peg into a circular hole. It wasn't working. And we kept trying to push for it to work. Now, I don't know if Tyler Adams or Walker Zimmerman or if anybody went over to the sideline and told Greg, hey, this is happening. And Greg said, no, I don't know that. But it didn't seem that way. It didn't seem like we tried anything differently. 
So we've got to figure that out. We can't just say X's and O's. This is how it's going to be because as soon as a team combats us on that, we're going to lose. So what needs to change for tomorrow exactly? Not Matt Turner. We need to keep him in goal. He is locked in as the bona fide number one goalkeeper and he needs the playing time. So I look to see him out there. Maybe he needs to work a little bit more on his distribution with his feet. But overall, he was great in goal for me. He made a couple of great saves. Nothing he could do on the two goals that were given up. I want to see Dest still on the right side. I want to bring Joe Scaley on for Sam Vines on the left. I know Joe Scaley can play both sides, and most people slot him as a right back, but I'd like to see him as a left back. Mark McKenzie showed better than both Long and Zimmerman, so I would start him at center back along with Eric Palmer Brown, just to see how those two play together. I think it's important to continue to develop, but I I, want to bring both of those guys in. In the midfield, I want to keep Adams and McKinney in there together. It wasn't their best performance or even close to something we could call a positive performance, but they both need to work together and figure it out. And alongside them, maybe some some issues that people are going to have with this, but I would bring in Kellen Acosta. Now, hear me out on this. Acosta is more of a defensive midfielder than Adams, but Adams is much more comfortable with another one beside him, which also would allow McKinney not to have to drop back so deep and he could play with a bit more freedom. Having De La Torre in there aside of McKinney was too much for them to figure out on their own. It wasn't the right formation for those three together in there. In the attack, I'm hoping Pulisic is healthy enough to come back and he should start on the left wing. From there... I'd go with Gio Reyna on the right and Ricardo Pepe at striker. We need to have some guys out there who can play with more freedom and autonomy to get their jobs done and not just play such a system-like style. That is how we don't get exposed and also how we can create more chances to score. We have 90 minutes left to try to salvage some positivity before heading back to our clubs and there should be no excuses against Saudi Arabia. And what should we expect from Saudi Arabia tomorrow? It will be a different matchup than Japan for sure. They will likely not be as much of a pressing team as Japan was. They will sit back a bit more and be more methodical with their own attack. They played against Ecuador on Friday and they drew nil-nil. I don't know a lot about the Saudi Arabian soccer team, but they will provide us with a test similar to what we can expect against Iran, who beat Uruguay 1-0 in their own friendly on Friday. It's not going to be easy for us. I expect them to commit quite a few fouls and try to break up our style the way that Japan did. We can't show up unprepared for this one or we will pay for it. I expect the U.S. to win 2-1. to I think defensively, we are going to give up some chances. That was evident from Friday. But I also think we are going to be ready to create chances and put them away and give the doubters and supporters something to chat about come Wednesday morning. Now, we also made six subs on Friday, so we had the ability to see a few people come on. Reggie Cannon was one of the subs, but he sustained a groin injury and is ruled out for this one. Johnny played a few minutes in the middle of the field and looked lost as well. McKenzie came on at half for long. He looked slightly better, but still panicked a few times. Jordan Morris also made an appearance, but you wouldn't have known it. He was out of position multiple times and truly added nothing to the attack. Now, Josh Sargent came on at half as well and did a decent job, but he was also out of position in more of a wide spot with Morris more central. It didn't make a lot of sense. Then Malik Tillman also came on for McKinney for a 20-minute outing, and he really didn't add much either. So 
For this one, if we start with the lineup I mentioned, I think we need to make six second half changes as well. Now, I put Ricardo Pepe up top, and he should get some time up top. I expect him to start tomorrow. Josh Sargent is going to make this final roster. He has earned it, and he might end up being our starting number nine. So for me, you got to let Pepe get some playing time, throw Sargent on in the second half, and then we'll see what happened. At this point for me, it's between Ferreira, Pepe, and Pifak for two of those three final striking spots. Now, DeAndre Yedlin needs to get some time in with Cannon being injured, so I expect to see him come on. Maybe give Sam Vines more time to shine as well. Malik Tillman and Johnny also need more time as well. I honestly don't see a need for a goalkeeping change, but if you want to let Horvath or Johnson log 45 minutes, then sub one of them on in the second half as well. I know that leaves out Paul Areola, and maybe he gets some minutes, but for me, I think it's needless. We have other priorities that we can focus on. So, sorry, Paul. Now, on to my final thoughts about this squad. I mentioned it in a few of the posts on the weekend. Regardless of who suits up for the national team, whether they are MLS or European-based, we can be critical of their play and the decisions our coaching staff makes. But at the end of the day, we need to support this team more than ever before. In a world of social media, we can be downright hard on these guys. And I know many say that they don't listen to outside noise, but that's not true. They can hear it. They can feel it. They can sense it. It adds pressure to them. I might not like seeing Aaron Long in the starting lineup, but if he scores a game winner on November 21st against Wales, I'm going to be celebrating harder than ever before. I might not want Jordan Morris or Paul Areola on this squad, but if Areola whips in across to Morris to defeat England on November 25th, I am going to be the first to praise those two individuals. And I wholeheartedly feel that Jordan P. Fox should be on this roster. But if Jesus Ferreira scores in the 89th minute to beat Iran and send the U.S. to the knockout phase, I am going to run harder than Landon Donovan did versus Algeria to celebrate with everyone that is around me. The point is this. We need to trust the process. Understand that these are just friendlies and warm-up matches for the ultimate show. Yes, it is easy to panic and immediately think it's a disaster situation. But at the end of the day, this team needs our support, needs our encouragement, and just positivity. I still believe we will be rewarded with some spectacular performances come November and December, and I can't wait for it to happen. I just hope last Friday was just a small blip on the bigger picture of everything. Well, that's it for today's episode. We will recap the entire camp and breakdown of all performances later this week. So send in any questions or concerns you may have. I have already received quite a few that I will cover, including the should we replace Greg questions. Remember to like, follow, and subscribe to my social media sites and podcast sites for updates and interactions. Lastly, the U.S. will kick off against Saudi Arabia at 2 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, which is tomorrow. So go find a bar to watch, have a few pints, and support this squad. Until next time, cheers, my friends.